Yes, man, I've got the privilege of bringing the word this morning. And man, just uh, want to say like from the bottom of my heart, one of the things that I've done um, for our church, my primary role that got me into the church was like helping with our finances. And so I've been on a journey with our finances, a journey that sometimes involved faith. But man, just the last couple of years, um, especially last year, um, the way we've given as a church is, is so inspiring. There's so many ways that like, I wish I could show you uh, the miracles God's done. And so, man, I just, uh, when we talked about the unprecedented generosity campaign this year, and, and even just how that's initiating our faith to give away, to, to invest in our community, to meet needs to the tune of a million dollars, that's because of the faith that you've already sown. And so, man, just as you guys are, um, Jamaica just put this so well, and we got to see that beautiful video, but man, unprecedented. We're in these times, in, heading into the unknown. That's part of my message, but I just wanted to, to briefly just share my faith for where we're headed and hopefully stir yours to stretch into a new uh, area in your giving. Maybe you've never given, honestly, um, our, our faith journey with giving mine and my wife's Amy's was with, we were literally sowing a mustard seed. It was like, just, this is what we got. We're going to sow it. And so don't be afraid to start small. Um, take the step and, and I'm, I'm already preaching my message, but take the step and just watch what God does. And if you're already faithful, will you pray prayerfully consider where he might stretch you into new territories? Um, that's not even any of my message. I'm just like, I get, there's that, that's an area that does stir my faith because of how I've interacted with it. My message today is about indecision. And I know a lot of you are like, not indecision. I never deal with that, right? I mean, you, your home never sounds like my home just before dinner time. Usually it starts with something like this. Hey, babe, what's for dinner? And, and the babe being, you know, spoken to could be the babe that's the female babe, my wife, Aim, or it could be the male babe, me, Nelson. So, you know, either asker might hear back, I don't know, what do you think? Oh, I don't know, what sounds good to you? I asked first. <laughs> and we play this, this game of decision ping pong, like, well, how about Thai? Maybe uh, pizza? You want to get a burger? You know, and then it's like, we just end up like not even doing any of the three options we just talked about for about 15 minutes. And it's like, well, you know what? There's actually just like a frozen pizza in the fridge. Let's just warm up the oven. All right. Indecision. You know, when I get indecisive is when I get lost, which used to happen a lot. I first moved to LA in 2007. And this was around when you could go to Best Buy and get a Tom Tom. And your phone, the, the smartest it was is they, they were sending text. And, and at this point, Apple didn't have navigation on it. You had to get like, I don't even think they were Androids at this point, but the, a Windows phone might have a navigation on it. And, and I got lost once in LA in 2007. And it was like, uh, it was dark, it was late. And, and it was like one of those things where I was like, I'm lost. And I pull out a, a spiral bound book that was called a Thomas Guide. <laughs> and I thumbed through this. I'm like, okay, I'm here. Okay, that's page 345. And then it's like, okay, that road's gonna get me to, and I'm go off the page, okay. So then we gotta follow that to a different page. It wasn't even a proper map. It was like the Where's Waldo of directions, okay? And, and then and I'm the guy, when I get lost and I don't know where to go, I do this move. You're like, okay, where am I? Oh, okay, let's just do, all right, yeah. 
as if, as if turning the audio down is somehow going to reveal the dire- the what direction to go. Like, it's like, yeah, we're just listening to some bones. That's going to tie in later, by the way. And then it's just like, boom, boom. East. Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. Now let's get those jams back up. Right. You know, like, and just like, we're good. Like how does turning it down? But I do it every time. Do it every time. I like, I, I can just miss my turn that I know. Like I'm on my way home and I'm like, oh, there was my turn. Like we just turn it down just cause I got like, we're going to do a U-turn anyway. I, I don't know why in my psyche when I'm like, I don't know where to go, but I don't want this distraction. So let me just turn it down. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? Why do I do that? And my message today is my prayerful and sincere attempt to answer this question. What do we do when we get lost in life? It's called faith for the crossroads. So if you're like me and over 30, you can't hear crossroads and not hear Bone Thugs and Harmony crossroads. So I'll just give you a second Let's just let that play out. Boom, 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 boom. Tell me what you're gonna do. Ain't no way to hide. And I miss my uncle Tom, y'all. I got, you gotta get to that part, right? right? You know? <laughs> and I'm gonna miss everybody. Oh, oh. Yeah, you gotta get, like, you gotta just get through it. And now we're ready. Okay. What is the right path, though? Is that, isn't that the question right now? We just came out, somebody, somebody, uh, one of Jamaica's had coffee with a friend of ours, right? And she, this friend of ours has been out of work since the pandemic started, almost a year ago. What, what is, what do you do? What do you do? And okay, I was like, I just got the career I wanted. It just started. And then the pandemic shut the doors. Now what? Do I get a new job? Do I wait for it to reopen? What, what do we do when we're, we're, we love this person, but they hurt us? Do I give them another chance? Do I forgive them or do I move on? Is there better? What do we do when we hit those crossroads? It's so hard to know what we do, what to do, right? Sometimes it's so hard because often our decisions are between good and bad. It's good and good. How do I know what's good in God? How can I tell between good and good? Which one is God's best for me? And we want that, don't we? I mean, I, don't you? I do. <laughs> like, we want, I want God's best for you. I want it for me. And sometimes we get to pick our path and how do we know which path to take? And the worst part is sometimes that indecision is paralyzing. You know when that happens, when the indecision gets paralyzing, it's at Cheesecake Factory and on Netflix. So if you open Netflix and you don't know what you're watching, you're, you're watching what I call the scroll. You're just kind of like... Hmm. I got, we have an Apple TV, so we swipe the remote. So it's like, swipe, swipe. Two hours later, I didn't watch anything other than my indecision play out on my Netflix queue. Indecision, we get stuck, don't we? Man, I mean, and wouldn't it be cool if I could preach a message that could get us unstuck? That's my prayer. God, would you help me? Help me preach a message that would get us unstuck when we don't know what to do. Show us how to find you in those moments, God direct our path, anoint my words, cast out anything that's me and leave only what's you. We glorify and we put you first in Jesus name. Amen. We're in this series called unprecedented faith because unprecedented times call for unprecedented faith. And unprecedented means we're, we're seeing something that's never been done or never been known. And I believe unprecedented faith means that we are going to get led down unprecedented paths. 
paths that are unknown. So when we're at those crossroads, how do we take those steps into the unknown? Like Elsa in Frozen 2. Someone late joining right now is like, is this karaoke time? Like, is he going to preach? Or is it just going to be like, into the unknown? <laughs> Hopefully they auto-tune that into key. It was, some, it was a couple keys. Bree said it was good, so it's good. That was like good and good, or but there was a third option on that one. No indecision. How about this? Hebrews 11.1, 1. it defines faith this way. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. There's an interpretation that describes the intent of this scripture to say something to the effect of faith substantiates the reality that we hope for. I've heard that phrase once before on like a, uh, like a law television show. You see somebody and they're like, that's an unsubstantiated claim. And, and Jet, you, you're studying to be a lawyer. So you can actually like, you can, you can kind of vouch if I, if I go the right direction. Because I did study a little bit of law. You didn't know this, but a lot of you guys wouldn't know this, but I did study a little bit of law. Um, yeah, I, I got like just... It's just a little bit. I, could, I didn't pass the bar, so I can't practice law, but I did go to Google University and I took a couple classes. And this is what I learned at Google U. An unsubstantiated claim means there's credible evidence, but less than a preponderance of evidence to support that claim. Okay, now we gotta, we gotta Google again. So like control T, new tab. Preponderance of evidence means the facts as presented are more likely than not to be true. This consistent good. I'm not taking us down the wrong law path. Good. Okay, good. In most cases, this means there must be at least 51% likelihood that the facts are true. Ooh, I like numbers. That, that gives me a sense of confidence, right? 51%. I can work with that. That's 1% more than halfway. But wait. Sometimes when we get to the crossroads, don't we kind of want a little more than 51%? Don't we kind of, like, I won't move until I'm 100%. And if you're willing to admit it, put the 100 emoji in the chat right now. Because sometimes that's me. Sometimes I'm like, ah, I don't know what to do. Let's just wait here until we're certain. And then you just end up a pile of bones because you're never going to be 100. And if a court of law will take 51%, how much would God take? Faith. Faith can actually substantiate or replace some of the certainty we need to get to that 51%. See, faith can make facts out of what our eyes see as false. 51% is all the court needs, but we put a stricter burden on God? Maybe, maybe what Hebrews 1, 11.1 is saying is could you settle for about 20% certainty and 31% faith to take the step? How much of your certainty are you willing to let be substantiated by faith? By something you can't see, by something your eyes deny. Paul, this is what he's talking about when he says we walk by faith, not by sight in 2 Corinthians because he's on a journey with God. He went on a journey with God that empowered him to have the faith that gives more substance to what God said than what his eyes can see more substance to what God said than what his eyes can see. So maybe you see your bank account and it looks like numbers we don't want to see. What are you going to give more substance? What did God say? 
even though the bank doesn't look that way? What about, she didn't look like the girl I thought I married. He doesn't look like the man I thought he'd be. He, he was definitely more chivalrous when he was open my doors on them dates. <laughs> so if my eyes, my eyes, oh, I'm 20% certain, but what does God say? What does God say? Can that be enough to get me to 51%? Can that be enough? Can my preponderance of evidence be what my eyes see, what God has said, what my faith tells me? This is how we can follow the instructions given in Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you what path to take. Proverbs is like awesome scripture for wisdom. And it's really good. It's a good answer sometimes. But I'm still like, what do I do? How do I do that? How do I take that? And, and remove the paralysis that comes from the indecision when I'm at a crossroads and I don't know which path to take. How do we put this into practice when our fear, our indecision, our insecurity paralyze us at those crossroads? Abraham, his name comes up often when we talk about faith. He takes an unprecedented journey. And I believe we can learn a lot from the approach he took as he navigated his own crossroads and had to demonstrate his own unprecedented faith. He's known for being asked to sacrifice his one and only son. And I asked God, how did he get there? How did he get there? And God told me, he led me to read the Bible and find out, which is like, oh, well, that's, yeah, okay, cool. So I did. I jumped into essentially all, like Genesis is, uh, or Genesis, Abraham's story in Genesis spans like some like 14, 15 chapters. I started in chapter 12, which is the beginning of when he got sent out. And I went all the way to 25, which was when he gets buried. And something stood out to me. See, the Bible mentions three altars that he built before his famous altar. And I discovered that each of those altars reveals something that might help us and guide us when we're at those crossroads. So Genesis 12, four through nine starts like this. So Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed. Let's stop there. Sometimes we get stuck at a crossroads and that stuck is God saying, wait, 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 did I send you that direction? Let's get you back home because that, that's a little dangerous. Sometimes we get there and we go, oh, wait, none of these look good. This is bad and bad. And we're not supposed to go east or west. We're supposed to go back home because God didn't send us yet. That's not even a point. That's not even an altar. I'm talking about the altars. Okay. <laughs> so, okay, this is going to be good. Don't miss this part. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all of his wealth, his livestock, all the people he had taken into his household at Haran, and headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. Shechem. I'm not clearing my throat. I just I don't know how to pronounce it. There he set up camp beside the Oak of Mora. At the time, the area was inhabited by the Canaanites. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there. Altar number one. Altar number one was built by the tree of Mora. 
And there's an interesting thing about the fourth altar. We talk about the fourth altar often because it becomes the, the name of that altar. The name of the place that altar was is Yahweh Yira, Jehovah Jireh. And that's a, a famous name we give to God. God, the provider, Jehovah Jireh will provide. You hear it all the time in an offering message or you know, maybe in an offering, uh, you know, exhortation. And like, we often do that and we give the, we attribute the name of the place to the name of God. And what was interesting about that, I was like, the name of that place is so important. What about the name of these other places? Abraham's most famous altar is one of the names of God we repeat often or the names of a place of God that we repeat often. What about the places of these other altars? So altar one was built by the Oak of Mora. Mora means teacher, I learned. Mora means teacher. So Abraham built the first altar by a tree called teacher. So maybe when Abraham was seeing, at this point, Abram was getting to crossroads, he became a student. And as a student, God's teaching can become our guide. Abraham doesn't have the privilege of a 66 book Bible with, you know, a plethora of translations. You can get digital, you can get, you can get a paper one, you can get a cute one with leather, you can get one with like a little journal on the side. Like he didn't have a Bible. He had to sit at God's feet and listen directly to him to learn what he needed to do. And I think sometimes we get stuck, but we never spent that season as a student going to God's word and learning what we can learn. So that when we get to the crossroads and we go, oh, wait, what did the Bible say about this situation? Maybe then I should go this way. We got to spend that time as a student. We got to spend that time as a student. I feel like I've done a lot of cool things in my life that I'm proud of that make my mom proud of me and my dad proud of me. And I think all of it has happened because I, I never stopped wanting to learn. I'm so curious. I love to learn things. You can ask my wife, Amy, I'm always like learning something. I'm like, babe, check this out. I learned that da, 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 da. And I just bore her to death about something new that I learned that she definitely doesn't care about, but I get excited about being a student. And I think if we can leverage that part of that, all of us have this curiosity, especially with our heavenly father. If we can leverage that time as a student and let him teach us, let his word and ways guide our ways. It makes it easier at the crossroads to pick the right path. Let's continue on. He dedicated, and Abram built the altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. After that, Abram traveled south and set up camp in the hill country with Bethel to the west and I to the east. There he built another altar and he dedicated to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord. Then Abram continued traveling south by stages towards Negev. Now I had a choice here, Bethel or I, but Bethel actually, this site becomes a little bit more important later on as it actually becomes the place where David builds a temple. And so Bethel stood out to me and Bethel, I looked up what the name Bethel means. Altar 2 was built at Bethel, and it means house of God. When we dwell with God, prayer and worship become our guide. See, the Bible says God inhabits the praises. So if I'm in prayer, God has somewhere to live. God can come visit me in the indecision. You ever get an invitation to a party you don't want to go to? This is a party God will, he will never respectfully decline. 
He will always RSVP yes when you let your praises and your prayer and worship invite him into the situation to dwell with you in it. And let that become your guide. Genesis 13, 18, we're gonna fast forward a little bit to get to the third altar. Abram moved his camp to Hebron and settled near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. There he built another altar to the Lord, Hebron. Hebron means fellowship. So this altar, the third altar was built near a place called fellowship. And I feel like God said in community, wise counsel becomes our guide. Earlier in the series, Julian talked about friends that can challenge our faith. Man, sometimes you get to those places, you get stuck. And the worst feeling is when you're alone and you tried to invite God, he didn't answer. You went back to your word and you were, I don't know what to do. And you don't have a friend to call. And, and be careful which friends you call, right? We, but like, don't call the friend that's like, you know, you shouldn't go West. And they're like, West. You know you should leave him, and she's like, but stay. Because he got that Tesla, though. You, you know, like, don't call the friend. Sometimes we already know what we want to do. Sometimes we have it in us, and we just need the right friend to challenge us to acknowledge the thing we already know, the, the friend that challenges us. Interestingly enough, there's a, uh, another part of Scripture where Abraham, Abraham is called a friend of God. And Jesus called the disciples friends of God. Why? Because he told them what God had told them. So a real friend is gonna tell you what God's saying. So when you get to the place of indecision and you don't know which way to go, a real friend will give you wise, that's what wise counsel is, right? Sometimes not all advice is wise counsel. The fourth and final altar, the famous one, Genesis 22, nine through 14. See, Abraham gets this command, this command that really is hard to hear. And he, he follows it. He's obedient to it. In, chapter, in verse nine of chapter 22, when they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham's still going where God says to go. Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, yes. Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Don't hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son, Abraham named the place Yahweh Yira, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Altar four was named Yahweh Yira, the Lord will provide. So when we're really willing to sacrifice, God's provision becomes our guide. When we're willing to sacrifice, God's provision becomes our guide. When God asks us to be willing to sacrifice, he's not preparing you to take something away. He's not preparing us to take something from us. He's trying to make sure that when he gives us what he's promised, we'll still put him first. 
that will still put him first so that when you get that career that you've been hoping for and praying for and working for, that then that career won't become the answer that God gave you. That that career won't take the place that only God should have as number one in your heart. When he gives you the spouse you've been praying for and believing for, that she won't become the thing, but that you and her will grow closer together to God or that you and him will grow closer together, that he will always be first, even in the relationship. It stands out to me that this happens nine chapters after the third altar. And I bet Abraham built more altars. These are the only four that I could find in the Bible. And the first two, first three are kind of close together. And then we go nine chapters. And we know that when Abraham left, he was 75. And we know that when Isaac was born, he was 100. And earlier in the story, Isaac actually helped carry the wood. So Isaac's like, whatever carrying wood age is. So I don't know, like, what are you, what are you, what's the like right age to ask a babe, what, what age would we ask Fitz to carry wood? I don't know, like 10? He's going to be, he's probably, he's going to look like a 12 year old when he's 10. So let's like, nobody knows. Nobody actually really knows. I looked this up. I tried to find it. Nobody knows how old Isaac was on that trip up the mountain. Let's say Isaac was 10. That's, that seems like a reasonably the youngest possible age. So at least 35 years have elapsed since Abraham was at altar three to when Abraham was at altar four. 35, at least, at least 35 years have elapsed from Hebron to Yahweh Yira. Boy, that's not encouraging. Okay, let's just hum Crossroads until it's encouraging. Mm, 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 mm. And we pray and we pray. And we... It's not working. <laughs> how, do we, how do we make that wait work? Sometimes we're stuck because we're waiting. Sometimes we're stuck because the promise isn't ready. Sometimes we're stuck because we're not ready for the promise. What do we do when we're, when we're on our way from altar three to altar four and it wasn't one chapter later in the story we told ourselves? These altars, one of the reasons in this tradition they built these altars was to commemorate encounters with God. I think when we take these faith steps at crossroads, we should follow the same approach. How would you commemorate the times when God's moved in your life. So that when you're waiting for the next time he'll move, you have something to look back on. So that when you're waiting and wondering, is God gonna reveal which path to take? You can remind yourself about a time when he did. Amy told this, uh, Amy, Julian told this story about Amy uh, in July. It's uh, a funny story about when I caught feelings for Amy. Um, and, and he was teaching it through the, the lens of perspective. And it, it really, it's a true story. I was on the dance crew. We were preparing our Easter dance number because we had big crowds of people that love to watch people dance. And I, you know, I'm in a purple shirt and there was a bunch of other people in purple shirts. We were coordinated because that's what you do when you're doing a dance number. And before, because it's Easter, we're like, we're making the dance number holy. So Amy, of course, has to pray over it. And like, that's the only way you can make a dance number holy is have the most holy person that is known pray over it. And because uh, like, I'm going to sneak a body roll in and make it not holy, right? And so we got to have Amy's prayer sanctifying every dance move, even mine. And so she's praying. And, and I was like, I was, you know, I was like really, it's, it's Easter. I was swept up. 
And I was like, I was here and I was like, just praying to God. And there was just a reason, I was like, open my eyes. And I opened my eyes and I looked at Amy and I was like, dang. And you gotta understand, so this year, Easter was in April. And actually God, this was one of the points in my walk with God where he asked me to stop. See, I was getting a little bit busy and I would just, I would just get to my crossroads and I would pick a path and go. I would just boop, boop. I had this bad habit. And God was like, can you just sit still for a sec? I need you to stop making changes. So I, make, I stop making changes. And he's like, give me six months. It's like, okay, April 1st to October 1st. This prayer moment happens. It was like April 8th or April 15th. And I was like, wait, why am I catching feelings? I thought we were making no changes. I couldn't add or subtract, change nothing. So I can't start a relationship when I'm not allowed to make these changes. Why am I catching feelings? Fast forward, we, it worked out, you know, six months of courtship, just like, you know, light flirting and texting. No dates for six months, you know, and it worked out somehow, you know, she's patient and I'm charming. I don't, I'm not, she's patient. We got, we're married now. And, and what's funny is there are times in our marriage, if I'm honest, where we don't like really, we're not like the stories we would tell on the platform. I'm not proud of things that I do or say, and I don't represent the husband I want to be. And sometimes Amy does that, and she doesn't look like the wife I thought I had. And I go back to the moment. I go back to the moment. It was 2013 in April, and I got a little altar over there. And I go back and I remember that I was praying and I was just sincerely seeking God. And in a moment of prayer, I opened my eyes and I saw my wife. In a moment of prayer, I saw a path I couldn't take yet, but I knew I would. In a moment of prayer that unexpectedly my eyes were open to something that typically I wouldn't choose with my eyes. In that moment, God showed me something by faith that my eyes never would have seen. Because I saw Amy, I knew Amy for a long time. I met Amy four years before that. And it's true, Julie did the joke, but hey, Amy. She was just a girl. She was in a connect group once. We were in a connect group together once. I sat by her once. Nothing, no sparks, nothing. Amy's cool. I re- I'll tell you this. I walked into, I remember that day that I sat next to Amy because I, I walked in, I go, Amy's really cute and she's got it together. Man, some guy's gonna be really lucky to get her. I literally told the gist. And then I sat next to her, nothing. And then this one random day in prayer, and it was because I could see her by faith, not by sight. And now a step was revealed. A step was revealed because I had 0% certainty I was allowed to date and 0% natural certainty that she was the one and 100% by faith that I should give it a shot. I'll close with this. It's easy to see Jesus in the fourth altar. I mean, the the Bible is like pretty clear. It's like, oh, you were willing to sacrifice your son, your one and only son, hint, hint. Like, it's not like, there's no interpretation needed here. Like, oh my gosh, this is just like Jesus. I'm I'm sorry, if you miss it, I'm really sorry. Maybe it's hard to like, but... It's, it's there, you know, it's like, oh, because God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die. It's easy to see Jesus in the fourth altar. I want to challenge us in the final moments of this word to see Jesus in the other three too. 
Because it, when we get to those crossroads, you can forget everything I just preached. I'm gonna give it to you right now. So if you, got, if you just got here, you came for the right spot. And if uh, somehow you can get to this spot and know you're allowed to fast forward, this is, this is what you need to know. When you get to the crossroads and you don't know what to do, look for Jesus. Just find Jesus anywhere. Hey, are you here somewhere? Because I just like, uh, where are, Jesus, where are you? Because at altar one, when we're students of the Bible, of God's teaching, of God's word, Jesus is the word made flesh. At altar two, when we're praying and worshiping, Jesus is praying and worshiping for you. He's sitting at the, at the right hand of God praying for you. At altar three in community, when we're seeking wise, Jesus is in relationship with you. And finally, at the fourth altar, Jesus is a sacrifice for our sin so that we never have to truly give up whatever that is that God promised us to have everything that God has for us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for my Oasis Church family. I thank you this morning for anyone that's dealing with indecision. I thank you, God, that you will give them the step, that you will reveal it somehow through this broken man's word, that you would reveal by your spirit, your will for your people. I thank you, Father. I thank you, Father, that in the indecision, fear, insecurity, will not reign, but your spirit and your love will reign. God, I just thank you for your ability to meet those needs, for your son you sacrificed so that we could have your Holy Spirit as our guide. So God, will you teach us what we need to learn? Will you meet us in our worship and prayer? And will you bring around us community And most of all, will you give us a deep revelation of the sacrifice of your son? In Jesus' name, amen. I love you so much. I'll see you soon.